You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. This is to tell a story of a climb of success, failure, climbing back up, getting to a point where you can make your own movies and then having rejection bigger than you ever imagined. Actor Charles Grodin. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. His first big movie break came with a film called The Heartbreak Kid. I'd like to know how you got such a gorgeous tan if you've been in court since 7 o'clock this morning. Oh, honey, do you think the law moves that quickly? I mean, in Florida, there were three cases before us, and then they had a recess, and then I wasn't called as a material witness until 2.30, and all that time I was out sitting on those dumb hot courtroom steps. I mean, it was a complete waste of a day. But that was just the beginning for Charles Grodin. Then came Midnight Run. Familiar with the word arteriosclerosis? Cholesterol? You want to outline a complete balanced diet for you. Well, mail it to me from C Block. The Lonely Guy with Steve Martin. You know what gets me? I go to get a haircut. They charge me like four bucks, which is the same amount of money they would charge anybody to come in. But like, say a guy like Michael Land that goes into the shop where I go, they would charge him four bucks. Yet he's got like a hundred times more hair than I do. By rights, they should be charging Michael Land in like $400. And eventually a new generation discovered Charles Grodin with the Beethoven movies. No, 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 no. Look, this is not one dog. This is five dogs. I, I know they're cute now, but pretty soon they're going to be monster dogs. It looked like the classic Hollywood success story. But in his 1989 memoir called It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here, Charles Grodin sought to reveal that the 1% success we saw masked the 99% rejection that he and other actors suffer. Now, this interview was actually the first of several that I had with Charles Grodin over the years before he became a successful late-night TV talk show host. So here now, from 1989, Charles Grodin. I was making a movie with Candy Bergen outside of London. We were filming in a castle. They were setting up the cameras in the main hall. We went to a room off the main hall to sit and wait till they called us to film. After a little while, an Englishwoman who was connected to the castle, she acted like she had a duchess or something titled, came in and said, did someone ask you to wait in here? I said, no. She said, it would be so nice if you weren't here. <laughs> now, I picked that as the title of the book because that's basically the message of show business. The, the doors are closed. They're not welcoming anyone. And I wrote this book to share my experiences of going into a profession where nobody wanted you and basically said if they did get to see you, we don't go away, you're not good enough, and what do you do when you don't know what to do? And so many of the people that I began with did go away very quickly and they were just as good as those of us that continued on and became successful and I and I've never forgotten those people and thought that since it's true of more than 90% maybe 95% of everybody going into show business that they're constantly being rejected I wanted to tell the story of what happened to me and what I went through and maybe by sharing my experiences and what I did when everything was when the message was so negative uh, that maybe people 
in the profession now or about to go into it or in the future will go into it will see, oh, this is the way it is. It's not just me. Uh, and this is what this guy did and, and became successful. So maybe it's a guide for me. It can certainly be helpful. It won't assure you of being successful <laughs> in show business, but it might it might help you understand that you're not alone and maybe tell you what to do when you really seem to have no idea what to do. There seem to be two factors at work in throughout so much of the book, and persistence is one, and just sheer luck, which many people don't believe in, but it well, seems to be Well, I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a few things. You have to really be good. Uh, you can't, you know, uh, of course there's exceptions to everything, but you really, uh, instead of sitting there and, and, and being upset or petulant or d- depressed because you're being rejected, I didn't think about it that much. Uh, I, I spent all of my energy to try to develop myself as an actor, and I studied for 10 years. And I got to do plays around the country, maybe 100 plays, maybe 100 television shows. And it wasn't about money. I wasn't trying to make money. I wasn't trying to become rich and famous. I was trying to get good because I knew eventually if I persevered and I hung in there long enough, I would get an opportunity. Then the question was going to be, why should they pick me out of 100 other people that look more or less like me? So I had a big concentration on that. And while the book is about dealing with with uh, rejection, for the most part, I was not depressed by it because I was so focused on mastering a craft, and that's that, that's one of the main lessons that I learned. So when people say to me, how do you get ahead, how do you meet somebody, I always ask them, how good are you? Are you as good as, as the best in the business? Because that's how good you have to be. That's what you should be concentrating on and not worrying about getting someone to see you because these people are going to look at you and say, he or she is mediocre. Why should we pick them? And you have to understand it's that tough. So you have to be, you know, it's not that different than sports. You have to be great. You have to really go out there and give it your all and really excel. Otherwise, you have no reason to expect success. What's heartbreaking about show business is you could really be good and still not be successful, which is not true of most professions. If you're a trained and capable doctor, lawyer, most anything you can think of, chances are you will make a living. That's not necessarily true for actors. But you also, you you can't take every rejection personally. You can't take it personally, and it helps to understand that this is happening to absolutely everybody. And maybe the person rejecting you doesn't have good taste. I mean, I always, when people rejected me and I thought I was good, you know, I would tell myself going in, too, that even though it might be a famous person, more than half of what they did wasn't successful. In order to do something that's not successful, you have to make mistakes. Maybe they're making one right now by rejecting me. You have to have that kind of confidence. When my daughter was a little girl and she'd hear me say, I did a good job today, I really did this well, she'd say, Dad, isn't it strange that you speak about yourself that way? I said, no, but it's okay if people say I'm terrible, I'm depressed, I'm not getting anywhere. That's okay, but to, you have to give yourself positive reinforcement. This is really a survival book. This is a book of how to keep going when everybody's trying to stop you. Now, you were not a child actor. You haven't been in commercials since you were three and, and things like that. You weren't in every school play all through your whole school years. But when you look back on it now... Was your destiny to be in show business? No, I don't think so. I think it was uh, just something that happened when I was a teenager and I saw a movie, A Place in the Sun with Elizabeth Taylor. And I was, I was a very confident kid. And I got that confidence because I was elected president of my class eight times in a row in high school. That seems like a, you know, I say that's the biggest thing that ever happened to me. And it really is. And people say, well, how can that be? That was when you were a teenager. Said, but that's where I built my confidence. Right there, I said, I must be doing something. I must have something here. And I saw this movie with Elizabeth 
Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Clift, and I, I kind of developed a strong crush on Elizabeth Taylor. And I, I, since I thought I could do anything, I thought, well, why don't I? I'll, I'll be a movie star, and then maybe I'll meet Elizabeth Taylor. And the Montgomery Clift made acting look easy, so I kind of went into it and very quickly ran out to Hollywood and fell flat on my face and ran right into brick walls and kind of picked up, looked around, and, and somebody said, you could really be an actor, but what are you doing out here uh, in the movie studios? You, you know, you're really not ready for that. And so I went back to New York, and then I started studying for many, many, many years and uh, really forgot about being a movie star, really forgot about Elizabeth Taylor, and really started to concentrate on, like, how do you get to be good? And that's, that's what I write about. After this short break, Charles Grodin explains how missing out on a movie role that made somebody else a big star actually worked out in his favor. Now back to my 1989 interview with Charles Grodin. It looks so easy to people who want to break in. It looks, you just, hey, you fly out to L.A., you get an agent, the next day he gets you a great part, the next day after that you begin filming, and three weeks later you're a movie star, right? Yeah, yeah not, not really, not really. I mean, you, you, you really can't even uh, get anybody to talk to you. You can't even get anybody to say no. I mean, that's what's really uh, bizarre about this. You can't even get to the point where they'll reject you. <laughs> that, that's how difficult it is. That's you, you don't even get a chance to be rejected. That's tough. Gee. I want to skip ahead just a little bit I, and, and talk about so many of the movies that I've seen you in, you don't even mention in the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering if there was just not enough room no, or, if, or if you'd no, dislike it, it those would, pictures. No, no, it's not that. It would be hard to, to understand this without me saying this. But what, what it, this is really a story of, of moving on a career to the point where I became a leading player in The Heartbreak Kid. And then the next movie I did wasn't successful. And I completely was not wanted after that. That chapter is called I Could Have Gone Back to Pittsburgh, which is where... Mm where I'm from. Uh, so the, the movies that I talk about really are part of the story. Uh, I, I'll talk about King Kong because I was really back in the movies with King Kong. Um, if I don't talk about a particular movie, it's, it's only because it's really not essential to telling this story. And, and it, it was, that's, that's the only governing reason. Or possibly it can have to do with what I, the, the, things, the movies I had the most interesting things to say, in my opinion, were the ones in the book. I mean, it seems like old times is a movie that people like a lot, but uh, I don't have anything particularly interesting to say about it. <laughs> but we shouldn't necessarily read into that, that, that fact, boy, he must not have liked the long No, I, I love much. a movie I made with Albert Brooks called Real Life, and it's not mentioned in the book. It has nothing to do with that. It's all part, it's, it's a story. It's, it's like a nonfiction novel, and I, and I talk about what I need to talk about to tell the story. This is not a a uh, a recitation of everything I've ever done in show business this is to this is to tell a story of 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 a climb of success of failure of a climbing back up of getting to a point where you can make your own movies and then having rejection bigger than you ever imagined it's it's a saga of acceptance and rejection more than it is a a list of everything i've ever done you turned down the lead in the graduate i had been in uh, in show business for about 15 years and i was earning when i did work if i would work three days say in a western or something in television i would be paid a thousand dollars a week uh 
I was the first choice for the graduate, and they offered me $500 a week. And we, we just simply said, you know, that we, we, we assumed that was an, a, an opening offer. And, and, and negotiation went on. What I didn't realize was that they would be resentful that I just didn't jump at it and, and kiss them and, and thank them very much. I, I thought it was just a normal negotiation. I didn't think there were, I never really turned on the graduate. I turned on the opening offer. And it really wasn't even an offer to do the part. It was an offer to test. Now, they did say I was the first choice in their there wasn't any second choice. Uh, it was never about money. Uh, I was driving a cab in New York, turning down real opportunities to make a lot of money because I, I wouldn't do commercials, which I've never done. Uh, I've never I've turned down more money since I've made Midnight Run than I've made in my whole life. So I was never really about money, but I have always been about fairness, and it, and it worked against me there. But I don't really suffer that too much. Uh, I, you know, I was always interested in a lot of things beyond acting, like writing and directing. And uh, I think if I'd have been in the graduate, I probably would never have done these, these other things. I probably would have been a movie actor, period. And, and I think it's more interesting to be a writer and a director as well. But it also raises the question, I mean, movie buffs have, have always wondered, does the part make the actor or does the actor make the part? Well, somebody asked me, you know, is Dustin Hoffman one of the great actors in the country? He is one of the great actors in the country. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of other people that could be considered one of the great actors in the country if they had the opportunity. I mean, I thought he was brilliant in Rain Man. I really did. And I loved the movie. But I do know 10 other actors that would have been brilliant as well. You don't know. You've never heard of them. Unfortunately, a lot of them aren't even in the profession anymore and that's what's so heartbreaking about this there are wonderful talented people who just could not combine talent uh sensitivity with perseverance perseverance and being thick-skinned i mean it's a it's a strange combination to be that vulnerable and that sensitive and that tough and that persevering all at all in one package and those are the people that become successful so talent mm -hmm. is really not enough talent is just one element but you do have to have that kind of spirit that keeps going no matter what. But when we see somebody like, like Hoffman in Rain Man or when we see you and De Niro in Midnight Run, afterwards you can't possibly picture anybody else. In it, 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 it's, it's, well, it's, I, I, I appreciate that, but I, I know that, that we're all replaceable, and, and it's hard to imagine that, but I, I don't think that there... I cannot think of any situation of any role, you know, not taking anything away from uh, Dustin or De Niro or myself. Uh, I, do, I don't believe that that's true. It's just that these people didn't get the opportunity, and nobody knows who they are, but there's fabulously talented people out there who just are never getting the break. Are you happy with the direction your life has taken? Well, I'm, 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 uh, I've always been professionally fine because long before I was recognized, I was recognized in the classrooms. I was somebody that people looked to, and I was a, I was a highly regarded student before anybody ever heard of me. So in a way, I was recognized much earlier than the public recognition. So I have really no complaints. But I, I wrote this book about rejection, not because I'm suffering, but because I wanted to let people know. I had something to say and I wanted to share it. I didn't want to write a book about my life and times and look at my career. But I did have a specific thing to say. And there was a vacuum. Because when I came along, I was really always searching for some insight into how the profession works. And I never found a book even remotely like this. And that's why I wrote it. You do seem to be a rather cheerful rejectee. Yes, I am. <laughs> I've always been kind of a happy person. <laughs> 
What what motivates you if it's not money, if it's not fame, if it's not getting your picture on the cover of Variety or Newsweek or or TV Guide? I like to do good work. I like to contribute something. Uh, I like to be. Uh, I like to entertain. And I, you know, I, I really my my heroes are Ralph Nader and Cesar Chavez, who basically believe in service to others, and that that has been the motivating factor for me to 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 be an entertainer and and in this case to offer something uh, with this with this book that is is an entertainment but also could have some lasting usefulness i mean i i haven't really found a way to say this but what i really feel is the book is the most significant thing i've ever done in my life because i really feel it has lasting value it's hard to say that uh, about yourself but if you can say it if you can say you've ever done anything important, if you're allowed to ever say it, I would say this book, more than anything I've ever done in my life, it can help people. Would it bother you if, if you heard uh, somebody in the theater uh, and they, they were, they're coming to see a movie that you weren't, didn't have the lead in, but you had a part in, and you came on the screen and you heard one of them nudge the other and say, oh, it's that guy. And what's his name again? Yeah, he's in everything, but who is, what is that guy's name? No, that doesn't bother me. Now, those kind of things never bother me. Uh, what bothers me uh, is uh, has nothing to do with show. I mean, I mean, I know the difference between good news and bad news. Don't misunderstand me. But if you really want to get to me, it 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 only has to do with uh, illness, illness in the family, friends. I mean, I am really bothered by things that it's worth being bothered about. And I've seen it. I lost my dad when I was a teenager. Uh, my, my first wife died of a malignant brain tumor. I mean, uh, it's very hard to be bothered if people don't know your name when you're looking at things like that. And uh, uh, I think because I lost my dad when I was so young, rejection in show business seemed like not very much to me. I think that's kind of has a lot to do with my success in a strange way. Charles Grodin died in May. He was 85. And you can find easy Amazon links to Charles Grodin's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're there, listen to my interview with Carol O'Connor. Archie never laughed at anything. He, he's never, he never found anything funny. Everything, he found everything serious. He found the most minor issue, something of utter seriousness. And to my conversation with the great Carl Reiner. Rob Petrie was about my days on the show of shows as a writer-actor on the staff and living in Nourishell with my wife, not Laura, but Laura's a name I always use. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything... One of the first, and certainly one of the most iconic, network TV news anchors. My 1989 conversation with David Brinkley. Historians are, have their own way of working, and it's fine. But um, history is one thing and journalism another. Actually, they're much the same, but journalism is, uh, I think journalism is better written. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.